Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Bruiser Nation members of all ages, does everybody know what time it is? It's Bruise Cruise time. Visit BruiserNationProductions.com for all our awesome content and links to our merch partners. Oh, hey there, Bruiser Nation. Raise those anchors and get ready to wear the official merch of Bruiser Nation Productions. Just visit BruiserNationProductions.com slash merch to take an excursion to our merch partner sites so you can show your love of the Bruiser Nation as you go about your day in style. Once again, that's BruiserNationProductions.com slash merch. And remember, Bruiser Nation, stay good. Because I'm always good. Oh, hey there, Bruiser Nation. Raise those anchors and get ready to take a ride on the Bruise Cruise. This week on the Bruise Cruise podcast, we're taking another excursion to Bruise Cruise Macabro with Dr. No. No, not not the James Bond villain. No, 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 no. Someone far, far, far worse. So we're going to go in a little bit of background. This was from 1981 to 2004. Going across Ohio, Illinois, New York, and Pennsylvania, also known as the Ohio prostitute killer and the I-71 killer with nine plus victims. Now he was finally arrested back in 2019. We'll get into that story here in a little bit. But first, we'll start with the terrible things. Three of the victims of Dr. No worked at the Union 76 truck stop in Austin Town, east of Akron and west of Youngstown, largest in Ohio. Wow, did not know that. Leading the investigators to suspect the killer was a truck driver. Most victims were found without underwear and shoes, and the killings, as we just stated, began in 1981 when the body of a young woman found in Miami County on April 24th, and after a forensic examination determined that the victim died from strangulation, receiving a head injury before being strangled. So already, this guy's pretty freaking terrible. No personal belongings or documents were found, making her identification difficult. Nicknamed the buckskin girl from a tasseled buckskin poncho she was wearing. She was finally identified in 2018. 2018. This happened in 1981. So, 27 years. She was finally identified as Marcia King. They did theorize that she had been a runaway teenager, a foster child, or a transient wanderer, unlikely to have spent a significant period of time in Ohio prior to her death. Although her high quality of personal hygiene strongly indicated that she had not lived as a vagrant. As her body was close to a town road instead of a highway, the probability of her being a wanderer for a significant amount of time was considered to be negligible. The absence of her footwear at the crime scene led some investigators to believe she may have been murdered by an abusive partner. <sighs> this stuff really, really gets you. So the next victim, 25-year-old Marsha Matthews, who I don't have a lot of information found on here, found beaten, 
barely alive on June 16, 1985, by a trucker one mile away from the Union 76 truck stop. She died two and a half days later from a traumatic brain injury sustained after being beaten with a blunt object. July 20th, 1986, the body of 23-year-old prostitute Shirley Dean Taylor discovered, who was also beaten and strangled to death. Before her disappearance, she was seen at the Union 76 truck stop, where, according to witness reports, she went to meet a regular client nicknamed Dr. No, whose identity at that time was never established. Her body discovered a few miles from the place of her disappearance with her underwear and shoes missing. December 1986. So he went from, what, 81 to 85. So he went four years. And then he went just over a year, just under, no, just over a year to five months. So he really started to escalate his brutality and his killings kind of quickly. It escalated so fast. Like he, and, and more than likely there more in between these times, especially if, if he was a truck driver, he could be all over the country committing these crimes. And especially back in the 80s, forensic science was nowhere near where it is now. So in December 1986, 18-year-old prostitute April Barnett also went missing from the Union 76 truck stop. Her body found a few days later, 70 miles from Austin Town, as with previous cases. The victim was beaten, strangled to death, and with some of her clothes missing as well. A few days after, 28-year-old prostitute Jill Allen was found murdered in Illinois near Interstate 70. Despite the fact she had been found in another state, she was deemed a victim of the same killer due to the modus operandi or the similar way. I don't know the, let's go to the exact term or the MO someone's habit of working, particularly in the context of business or criminal investigations uses this term and translated from Latin. It is mode or manner of operating. So this is it is. Everything was consistent with her death. With everything was consistent with her death and the past victims. The next victim, 27 year old Anne Marie Patterson, went missing February 7th, 1987. So he really escalated here. And another Union 70, another one from the Union 76 in Austin Town. So, yeah, we've learned a lot in the years of criminal justice and profiling and everything else since the 80s. But for God's sakes, like, couldn't they just kind of just put a cop at Union 76? Like, wouldn't one be enough? Maybe after two, just post somebody up real quick, see what's going on, see who comes through. Maybe we could have found this monster of a human being a lot faster. Her semi-decomposed body was found 40 days after disappearing February 7th, 1987, 250 miles away from Austin town near Cincinnati. A week before the disappearance, Patterson had been arrested by police. 
At the station, she gave information about a murder suspect and described his car. During the investigation, law enforcement agencies discovered that Patterson had made an appointment via CB radio with the client, nicknamed Dr. No, who she characterized extremely negatively, and then she disappeared. From this, the police and later the media used the nickname for the unidentified criminal. Well, at least there's a reason behind him being Dr. No, considering that's what the ladies of the night were were calling him at the time. August 10th, 1987, there was another victim found in Englewood. Victim's jeans and underwear were at her ankles, while the upper parts of the clothes were missing, according to the nature of grass depressions and tire tracks located at the scene. Forensic experts determined that the killer threw the victim's corpse out of his car. An autopsy revealed the victim was a young woman, aged 20 to 25, died from strangulation. And despite the abundance of tattoos as well as jewelry, the offender had not stolen. She remained identified until 2010. And then in 2010, Paula Beverly Davis was this young woman's name's name after relatives recognized her tattoos pictured from her listing in the National Missing and Unidentified Persons Database. Although she was included on the task force relating to the murders formed in 1991, additional theories exist suggesting a drug dealer's retaliation, an unknown woman last seen in her company, or an unrelated serial killer. So that's confusing. Was it Dr. No or was it these other people? So they still have no idea. November 22, 1987, the body of 19-year-old LaMonica Cole was discovered at a truck stop in Breezewood, Pennsylvania. Despite the fact the truck stop was located on another interstate, Cole was included as a potential victim because she had died from strangulation, was a native of Ohio, and some of her things had been recovered, while others not. During the investigation, LaMonica's pimp, 24-year-old Derek Mims, told police that the alleged killer with whom Cole left on the day of her disappearance was traveling in a blue semi-trailer truck with white stripes. I mean, for God's sakes, this guy just kept going. 31-year-old Terry Rourke was murdered March 29, 1988 in New York, her body found on one of the bridges passing through the Mohawk River. The medical examiner found that the woman died from a traumatic brain injury and a, that occurred during a beating with a blunt object several hours before the discovery of her body. Some of Rourke's clothing, including underwear and shoes, were never found, leading investigators to include her in the list of potential victims of Dr. No. See, this is so wild. Like, I didn't even know that, like, you know this stuff happens, but, like... When you start looking into, like, things that happen in your state, you're like, how did I not know about this? Like, I know I was not even born when the first one began, but, like, dear God, how did this never come up anywhere ever until I decided to look? April 19th, 1990, another female's body was found near a truck stop on I-70. Most of her clothes were missing. However, her panties remained. An autopsy concluded that she had died from a traumatic brain injury resulting from a beating and had sexual intercourse 12 to 24 hours before her death. With these conclusions, the investigators suggested that the victim was a prostitute and had fallen victim to the serial killer. 
Despite multiple attempts to identify her, she remained unidentified with the placeholder name Jane Doe 2 until her identification as Patrice Anita Corley, aged 29 in 2017. Now, during the course of the investigation, the police interviewed hundreds of prostitutes, pimps, service station employees, and truck drivers in an attempt to find witnesses and identify the offender. According to the witnesses, the killer appeared to be a tall, large man with fair skin and dark hair between the ages of 25 and 40, wore glasses, and talked with an accent matching that of somebody from the northeastern states. The vehicle he was driving, described as an 84 silver truck with a wind blocker and a red hood, the Ohio State Police Department and volunteers from various civil society organizations posted over 4,000 photographs of the victims in an identikit of the offender at 130 truck stops and service stations across the state. 1,350 truck stops in nine other states through which interstate motorways where the serial killer would ride through and offering $10,000 for information about him. Now, after all of this, five people were, de- were detained who at different times were nicknamed Dr. No, but no charges were ever filed against any of them, and their names were never disclosed to the public. Most of the corpse's biological traces were discovered that, according to the investigators, came from the perpetrator to establish if there was any DNA to match to any offender. And due to the surprise, due to the fact that all the victims had engaged in prostitution during life and authorities started questioning whether the deaths were actually related and no other incriminating evidence was found at the crime scenes, such as fingerprints, hair samples, and pieces of clothing, it took them until 2017 to capture this sick son of a bitch. In April 1991, a resident of Lake County, Ohio, 36-year-old Alvin Wilson became a suspect. He worked as a trucker and owned two tractors, was among those whose hair samples matched those found on some of the victims. Credit card receipts and other evidence indicated his possible responsibility for the Ohio murders. In 90, he was arrested on charges of assault and attempted murder of a woman in October 1989. After his arrest, the girl contacted police stating that in 1986, Wilson had picked her up in Akron after paying for her services and had beat and attempted to strangle her afterward. Wilson was tested for any involvement, but the results were inconclusive. That same year, a long-haul trucker named John Fautenberry was arrested for several murders committed across four states. He was briefly considered a suspect in the killings, but was later ruled out at his modus operandi and victim profile were too different. In June 1994, a 36-year-old trucker from Ohio, James Robert Cruz Jr., who in... 19 March 1993 was convicted of murder of 17-year-old Don Marie Burnbaum in Centra County, Pennsylvania, whose body was found along Interstate 80. The girl's body was discovered a few days after her death. Since most of her clothes were missing, Cruz was considered a possible suspect in the Ohio killings. 
he was tested, but subsequent subsequently no charges were filed against him concerning the other murders. This shit is crazy. Oh, hey there, Bruiser Nation. Raise those anchors and get ready to wear the official merch of Bruiser Nation Productions. Just visit BruiserNationProductions.com slash merch to take an excursion to our merch partner sites so you can show your love of the Bruiser Nation as you go about your day in style. Once again, that's BruiserNationProductions.com slash merch. And remember, Bruiser Nation, stay good. Because I'm always good. Visit BruiserNationProductions.com for all our awesome content and links to our merch partners. In 1995, 28-year-old Sean Patrick Goebel, a trucker from North Carolina, who had admitted, admitted to killing two prostitutes in Tennessee, was among the suspects for the murder of a North Carolina woman in early 1995. As a trucker, Goebel traveled to several dozen states across the country, where cases of disappearances and murders of prostitutes along interstate highways were recorded. Following his arrest, Goebel was investigated for murders in at least 10 states. Nevertheless, he was cleared of suspicion of being the elusive Dr. No, since at the time of the first murder in 1981, he was still in high school. In the mid-1980s, when the majority of the killings took place, he was serving in the Army and was stationed outside of Ohio. In November 2005, on the basis of DNA profiling, authorities arrested 46-year-old Delmas Colvin, a truck driver who killed five prostitutes in Toledo. Colvin later admitted to killing at least two others in New Jersey, but vehemently denied any involvement in the Dr. No murders during the 1980s. Like, how many of these sick-ass truck drivers are out there? What in the hell? And then finally... Early 2019, 49-year-old Samuel Legg was arrested in Arizona. Using DNA profiling, law enforcement agencies were able to prove his guilt in four murders in Ohio and Illinois, the first of which he committed at age 20 in 1989. His initial arrest was due to a match for an unsolved 1997 rape of a minor in Medina County, Ohio, where he was extradited to stand trial. In the fall of 1990, Legg was a suspect in the murder of his stepdaughter, 14-year-old Angela Hicks, in Algeria, but as there was not enough evidence, he was not charged. Now, there was a development going into 2020, Samuel Legg III, which was the last person we, we mentioned here. Like we said, let's see, previous criminal history, suspect of a 1997 Ohio rape case of a 17-year-old girl, but was never prosecuted. The rape occurred at a truck stop on I-71 when the girl had been hitching rides from truckers to Cleveland. Samuel Legg III was later charged with two counts. Samuel William Legg III was later charged with two counts of first-degree murder for the death of 39-year-old Julie A. Conkle, who was found strangled behind a center's truck stop on October 23, 1997, near Illinois border with, with Wisconsin. DNA from Conkle's case was found to be in connection to several other cases. A Wood County grand jury indicted Leg in connection with the murder of Victoria Collins, 27, whose new body was found December 20th, 1996, behind the Union 76 truck stop on Route 420, near Exit 71 of the Ohio Turnpike. 
Legg was indicted for a similar homicide of Sharon Kedzerski, 43, who was found dead at a truck stop near Youngstown in 1992. He was also suspected in the 1990 murder of his stepdaughter, Angela Hicks, who we did mention, whose body was found near Midway Mall in Lorain County. Due to mental health issues, Samuel Legg was deemed unable to stand trial for his crimes and currently resides at Twin Valley Behavioral Health Center in Columbus, Ohio. A maximum security facility where he has been involuntarily committed is and is not permitted to leave. That's great that we're still feeding and giving this sick monster of a man fucking three hots in a cot with our tax dollars with our tax dollars. Not competent to stand trial. That's a bunch of bullshit. He was competent enough at the time to commit these crimes, so why is he not competent enough to stand trial for them now? I don't care if he's crazy. But anyway, here's a, a from the Santan News, because this is how he was finally discovered. The residents of Maplewood Street in Central Chandler looked out their windows to find a suspicious man standing in their neighbor's driveway. He seemed dazed, confused, and possibly in need of medical attention. It was March 19, 2016, two days after the suspicious man was reported missing from a nearby group home specializing in behavioral health. Chandler police notified, and officers later found the man wandering near Willis Road and Karen Drive before he was transported to the hospital, identified as Samuel W. Legg III. Caretakers at the group home were notified. Leg had been found. They advised Chandler police that Leg's psychological condition appeared to be worsening and that he may have to be transferred to another facility. Over the next three years, Chandler police received several more calls about Leg going missing in the city. The incidents followed a similar pattern. The group home reported him missing. He'd be found somewhere in Chandler, and officers returned him to the home. But the last call Chandler police got about Leg was notably different. Visit BrugeNationProductions.com for all our awesome content and links to our merch partners. Oh, hey there, Bruiser Nation. Raise those anchors and get ready to wear the official merch of Bruiser Nation Productions. Just visit BruiserNationProductions.com slash merch to take an excursion to our merch partner sites so you can show your love of the Bruiser Nation as you go about your day in style. Once again, that's BruiserNationProductions.com slash merch. And remember, Bruiser Nation, stay good. Because I'm always good. And aside from a few petty crimes, Legs criminal history... Oh, whoops, skipped something. The last call Chandler police got about Leg was very different. Authorities in Ohio wanted to question him in connection with several unsolved murder and rape investigations. After a few petty crimes, Legs criminal history hardly fingered him as the likely suspect for a series of heinous felonies. Warrants were filed authorizing Chandler detectives to extract blood samples from Leg for DNA testing, the results of which prompted officials in Ohio to label the 50-year-old a possible serial killer. In February 2019, Leg was extradited to Ohio and indicted for raping a 17-year-old girl in 1997. He was then charged with the 1992 murder of 43-year-old Sharon Kazursky, 
beaten to death in Pennsylvania. We did mention that one, that poor woman. He is suspected in three other murders, one of them involving Lake's teenage stepdaughter. Since his arrest, he has not been charged with any more crimes and has yet to stand trial for the others. Judges in Ohio have declared him mentally incompetent to appear before a jury and gave prosecutors until that summer to restore the defendant's health. Public records paint a tumultuous picture of Lake's journey from the Midwest to Arizona. He changed jobs frequently, got married and divorced, and repeatedly moved around until a court order placed him in a Chandler group home sometime after 2015. Despite numerous run-ins with law enforcement over the last 30 years, he was not charged with any violent crimes until 2019. He was unable to go unnoticed for decades because his DNA profile had never been entered in any type of national database. If it was not for new advancements in DNA analysis, Leg would likely still be living in Chandler, Arizona. Through interviews and police records, the Santan Sun News pieced together his journey to Chandler and the legal troubles he now confronts. Nancy Samagi was introduced to Samuel Legg in the late 1980s through a friend. After a couple months of dating, the two were married. Like most of these issues, the relationship started off fine before Samagi began noticing some strained behavior in her husband. Samagi recalled Legg having a habit of lying, like telling her he was much older than his actual age. She tried to look past this character flaw. But Samagi's teenage daughter, Angela Hicks, couldn't look past Legg's flaws and never accepted him as her new stepfather. Samagi said her daughter and Legg felt like they had to compete for her attention, fueling a jealousy that made her home life in Ohio unbearable. It wasn't really good anymore, the mother said. Then the unthinkable happened. Hicks went missing during the summer of 1990. Leg told authorities the 14-year-old cheerleader left home alone while Samagi was at work and never returned. Investigators thought Hicks might have run away, but her friends quickly disputed this theory after noticing all of her shoes had not left the family's apartment. A month later, Mormon missionaries found her body in the woods near a dilapidated barn. Local authorities always suspected Leg had some involvement in his stepdaughter's death, yet they couldn't obtain enough evidence to make an arrest. Samagi said she too had some suspicions about her husband, but despaired at the thought she was married to her daughter's killer. These are her words. You don't want to think that you brought someone into the house like that. The couple's marriage deteriorated about a year after Hicks' death. Samagi said Leg would lash out with anger whenever she questioned him about her daughter's murder. After they split in 1991, Samagi said she never had contact with Leg again. She later moved to Texas and tried moving on with her life, though never quite avoiding a feeling of guilt for what happened to Hicks. Her words again, you're supposed to be there to protect your children. And everything seems to fall apart for this asshole. Not even quickly. Over time... A resume purportedly written by Legg suggests he worked in Michigan for a few years before relocating to southern Arizona in the late 90s. He drove trucks, repaired vehicles, and briefly owned a landscaping business in Sierra Vista. Court records show Legg remarried in 2006 and divorced two years later. 
The Tucson Police Department busted Leg for duplicating license plates in 2001, and again the following year for trying to solicit a prostitute. He appeared to stay out of trouble until 2015 when he was arrested for trespassing after he attempted to get into a strange car outside a McDonald's restaurant. Police reports show Legg's mental state appeared to worsen in the following months after officers repeatedly found him wandering in the desert. During one encounter with the Pima County Sheriff's Department in August 2015, he was found along a dirt road, dehydrated and badly sunburned. They noted how Leg appeared manic and constantly rambled to himself. He seemed confused and was walking towards the middle of nowhere, one of the deputies wrote in a report. Leg told deputies he was walking to a restaurant so he could meet up with a relative. Deputy instructed Leg to call his relative, and he complied, talking to his hand as if he was holding a cell phone. And this... And all of this finally gets connected because the the DNA database finally, because it got updated, and some people actually cared, probably, they had noticed that there were commonalities among evidence recovered from three different homicides. The matches identified one person as committing the crimes, yet the suspect's profile didn't connect to any DNA on file. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigations employed a new tool that searches the database and looks for any of the suspect's family members. The query picked out a convict, later identified as Legg's brother. Though the Bureau still didn't have Legg's DNA to compare to the profile pulled from the unsolved crimes, investigators did some research and found out Legg had been questioned for raping a teenage girl in 1997. A rape kit completed for the case had preserved the perpetrator's DNA, which authorities claimed linked back to Legg. The match allowed authorities to extradite Legg out of Arizona and back to the Midwest. Steve Irwin, a spokesman for the Ohio Attorney General's office, said the agency has been in contact with other states to see if Legg's DNA might match to other unsolved crimes. So basically, this dude ran roughshod around the country, it looks like, and we really don't have any idea how many people's lives that he ended in the most brutal of ways, taking away their, their, not only their life, but their dignity and whatever dignity they had left. They were doing what they had to do to survive. But, it, you know, and, the, and they didn't have his DNA on file because he didn't commit anything overtly terrible, apparently, which I kind of get, but I kind of feel like if you do enough that maybe we should start keeping DNA on file for people, like, just to be safe, like, I mean, slap on the wrist kind of a thing. You, you, you screw up once, that's fine. You find yourself in multiple troubles. It's like, we're, we're going to keep an eye on you. We're not sure what we're going to do. And, and that might sound a little crazy or harsh, but, I mean, goddamn, how many times do these psychopaths run around murdering people for years or decades in this case and it's because their DNA isn't available. And then you look back at the, their criminal history and it's like, oh, we had him here. He was in custody here. He was in custody here. And he was in custody here. 
but because there was no DNA on file, there there was nothing they could do, and they couldn't connect any dots to anything. And I'll I'll go ahead and you know hats off to the, the Bureau Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation for going through and matching you know familial DNA. That way, they they were able to start to get a link to this psychopath, and yeah. He's never able to leave, and he's in a psychiatric hospital right here and near me in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, not like near. I'm not in Columbus, but it's like these guys ended all of these lives, and because he's crazy as shit now, not that he wasn't crazy as shit then to do all this, he can't stand trial. He can't be arraigned. He can't put be put on the death penalty or life in prison or, you know, actually face the consequences of his actions. Yeah. He's in a high security mental facility, but is that justice or is that, Oh, well you're crazy now. So I don't know what to tell you because I don't give a shit. He knew what he was doing then. I don't care if he doesn't understand it now. And and that might sound cruel, but what he did to these women was cruel and unusual. And I don't give a shit. It can be proven that he did it. If the DNA matches, I don't need him to testify. I don't need him to, is he afford, should he be afforded a lawyer? Sure. We all have that right. Should be, he be afforded a fair trial? Yes, we all have that right. But at some point, this, you're too crazy to understand what's going on starts to piss me off because now you're not getting justice for these women. You're not getting justice for these families. And when it's, when it's a, when you have a psychotic break and it just kind of happens that I understand. That I understand not being fit to stand trial or if you are mentally unstable for your entire life. I mean, okay, well, let me rephrase that because most of the people that do this shit are mentally unstable. But when you have you know, diagnosed mental issues for your entire life, I, I understand the not competent to stand trial, but I don't understand someone who terrorized women for decades. Now that he's old and senile, he's not competent enough to stand trial. I just, I just don't get it. He wasn't, he didn't have these issues his entire life. He knew what he was doing at the time. He can't understand the charges brought against him because he's senile now. I don't care. Don't care. And that might sound terrible. That might be against what, you know, the criminal justice stands for, but how many times in these cases have we seen people not doing their job and failing everyone anyway? Those are just my thoughts on that. Once again, another excursion down Bruce Cruz Macabro. Now, next Thursday, we will be bringing you the call of Adam Page versus Daniel Bryan, too. I, you know, it being on American soil, and I don't want to get copyrighted. I at least want to give it a week before I drop my commentary of the matchup so I don't get sued. That would not be fun. But until next time, Bruiser Nation, stay good, because I'm always good.